We're continuing through this book, and what we've done is we've focused on these, the, the individual foundations that the Apostle Paul is laying down for, uh, for the church in the city of Ephesus. And we're continuing focus this morning on actually one verse in particular. We're looking at Ephesians 5, and we are in verse number 21 in a sermon that I have titled, Biblical Life Hacks for Relationships. The, the reason that we're in this, in this book and in this series is that the church in Ephesus is really similar to our church. It was one that was established by Paul. We weren't established by Paul, by the way. But it was a church of believers who had come together. They'd been together for a while. And there's many in our church here at Paris Valley who have a faith and who are coming together and building the, the, putting together the building blocks for this church in Paris. And in the second half of chapter number five and in through chapter six, we see that Paul's going to focus on some very important relationships. And we're starting to focus on these, looking at this five-week sermon series that I've titled Life Hacks. For those of you who may be unfamiliar with the term life hacks, it comes from a computer term, to, to hack, right? And so just to give a couple of examples of life hacks, according to Google, life hack is a strategy or a technique that is adopted in order to manage one's time in a more effective manner. That's what Google has to say. Anyone familiar with the Urban Dictionary? Yeah, kinda, okay, Urban Dictionary says life hacks are a clever routine, especially one in which the tools for a purpose are used for another purpose to come up with a, a usefulness. Our definition over the next five weeks is this, a purposeful use of a life instruction that has been so under-practiced in our culture that the concept seems foreign. It's no secret that the directives of the Bible in our relationships are very odd to some people today. They're as remote to some people as putting kind of strange things together, like a straw and strawberries. No, check this out, this is cool. So this is your life hack example number one this morning. So uh, st strawberries. Okay, and um, McDonald's straw. No, watch this. This is cool. What do you do with the strawberries? Typically, you'd like cut off the little green part, right? So this is an example of life hack. You t take the straw and just put it through the bottom of the strawberry like so, okay? Like, watch, watch this. And then just push it straight through to pop off the little green part and like core your strawberry like that. Simple. Like, thank you, thank you. It, isn't it cool? Like, you, who would have thought if, um, so there's life hack number one for you. Life hack number two for you, watch this. So this is uh, uh, one of our microphone cords and this is a piece of something that we normally just throw away when you're done with it, right? Watch this, pretty amazing. Like you can do this with any of your cords at home just to like keep them in the same spot. Like, I know, it's, um, 
it's kind of tight getting in here because it's a longer cord, but it is a lot easier to like carry around a, a cord or like throw it in the box, right? What do you think? Yeah? So they're, they're life hacks. They're things that we typically wouldn't think of. And in our culture, when we look at the Bible and we look at how it tells us to focus on our relationships, they're concepts that are so foreign, but they are so amazingly helpful when it comes to life and when it comes to, to managing. We're going to see how using these tools culturally looks odd in a marriage, but how it will help one's marriage in a more effective way. We're going to see how a, a biblical tool looks odd in womanhood, but it's going to help out and aid wives and husbands in a more efficient way. We're going to see how a cultural tool that looks so strange to manhood is going to be so beneficial to marriage to husbands and wives. And we'll see how a tool that looks so strange in the workplace is going to help employees and leaders. They're tools that are there. They're tools that are in the Bible that our world doesn't practice. The Apostle Paul is going to use some very direct and some very blunt instructions. And some of the most controversial content in the Bible is going to come up in the next five weeks. I promise you. Listen to this. Tell me how controversial this is. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Pretty controversial, right? Doesn't quite fit with modern Western society, right? Culture doesn't like that. Because culture doesn't like the idea of a woman submitting to, to a man. But here's the thing. Men struggle to say, I know how to lead in my home, right? These are things that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Now, we're going to look in depth into that verse next week. And it's not exactly the way our Western culture, culture says that it is. It's not saying that... Wives, be told what to do all the time. We're going to dive into that next week. So I want, you, I want you to be here next week and throughout this series. I want to say one thing really quick and very important. I'm going to say this numerous times over the next five weeks. I didn't write the book. I didn't write the content. I'm not up here just saying, okay, well, this is, this is what I'm telling you to do. I didn't do that. This is God's word through Paul, our instructions as humans. This is what we do. So it's not, it's not controversy when it comes from our creator. It's a very powerful message and it's very powerful rules for relationships that we're going to see over the next five weeks. In verse number 21, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians 5 and we're in verse number 21, this verse is actually a transitional verse. And it's at the tail end of a sentence that starts back in verse number 18. And then verse 21 also starts the next section. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to verse 18. And I'm going to read down to 21. And we're going to look at how this, how this verse is our, is our pivot point going into the content that we're going to focus on next. Verse number 18, it reads like this. It says, and don't get drunk with wine which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, here it is. Submitting to one another 
in the fear of Christ. Here the word, the fear of Christ means reverence. Submitting in the reverence of Christ. See, it's this verse 21 that we have trouble with in our culture. Submitting to one another, right? That's where, that's where our Western culture has problems with the word submit. In the original Greek, the Greek word is hopetoso, uh, which in its non-military use, this word means to voluntarily submit. It's a voluntary attitude of giving in. It's a voluntary attitude of cooperating and, and assuming responsibility and carrying a burden for somebody else. I want us to look at this concept. And we're going to put a life hack together here, okay? And we're going to put a life hack together that, that is going to look at relationships, use biblical foundations that are so foreign, and we're going to create a wonderful friendship out of this, okay? Watch this. Relationship hack number one in your notes. If you have a bulletin, you'll see on the inside, you'll see our, our um, sermon notes. Life hack number one to create deep relationships with people. Start with a healthy dose of Jesus. Add profound, profound care for another person and their concerns. And stir in love and respect. Start with a healthy dose of Jesus. A dose of Jesus. Add profound care for another person and their concerns, and stir in love and respect. Boom! There you go. That's a biblical relationship. Okay? You say, oh, "Well, Pastor, if it's that easy, then how come all my friends really are frustrated with me all the time? How come? How come people sometimes still hate me? How come I can't get along with my mom or my boyfriend yells at me or?" I just struggle having relationships with people. And it's pretty easy. It's because we're getting this life hack wrong. It's because we're cooking with the wrong ingredients. We're, we're, we're trying to make something work that, that we don't have the correct procedure for. As I explain this, I want you to think about somebody in your life, okay? I want you to think of somebody who you have a relationship with, but that relationship isn't really working correctly. Maybe somebody, maybe you always fight. Maybe you love to hate each other. Maybe you get on each other's nerves just to see who can get on each other's nerves the most. Okay? And I want you to, to think of somebody, and I want you to put this person's name in your mind. Actually, just kind of put that name in your pocket because we're going to use that today. Okay? Whoever that person is. Matter of fact, just take that name out and, and, and look at it right now. I want you to think about that person and that relationship. You have someone in mind? I'm not going to preach at you and tell you how to fix this person. I know, that's the easy way to do it, right? And I'm not going to preach at you and tell you how to fix you. What we're going to do is we're going to look at this relationship and we're going to see... We're going to see how does the Bible want this relationship to work? And let's work on turning this around, okay? Now, this isn't simply wives, husbands, friends, neighbors. Friends is great, but employers, this could be anywhere, okay? This life hack has three main ingredients in it, and I just read them to you a minute ago. First, it takes Jesus. Then it takes profound caring, and that's on your part, okay? And then it takes love and respect. That's the hack, that's the recipe, and it's in that order. Jesus, 
profound caring, love, and respect. I want you to notice two things. One, the order, and two, where you are in that recipe. Did you hear where you were? Well, where I didn't really mention you at all, right? We're not number one. We're not Jesus. We're not number two because we're not the profound caring. We're not number three because we are not the... We're not the love and the respect. We are actually the hidden fourth part. We're the canister. We are the, the measuring cup that's pouring all of these ingredients together, okay? That's us. We are the vessel. See, you are the source of the profound caring, and you are the source of the love and the respect. But we are not, as, as people, we're not part of that recipe. We are submitting voluntarily to one another in reverence of Jesus Christ providing profound care and love and respect did you see yourself in the main ingredients in this you didn't in a biblical based relationship with others what a concept we're not in the first three things in the relationship we're not in the top three ingredients self isn't in there to have deep friendships, I need Jesus, caring, love, respect, and I'm not the center of the relationship? Yeah, I'm not. Because when we become the center of the relationship and the recipe, that's going to change this creation that God gave us in friendship and relationships, and it's going to turn it into something ugly that the world mutated. It turns it into selfishness. See, our world likes to place this massive influence on self. Using these biblical hacks for relationships, not only we find that we're not in the top list of the ingredients, we find that everyone else is. See, our culture prides itself on, on being a me society, on this take it or leave it, right? Or, or maybe it's my way or the highway. Or... I'm the boss of me and no one can tell me what to do and, and I'll do it my way and it's all about me. The world laughs at the way of the Bible but then we stampede into offices of mental health professionals and, and, and psychologists and we pound pills and we wonder why we can't manage our relationships and then we storm out of the offices when they don't tell us what we want to hear. We're losing the relationship culture war because we don't know how to properly begin relationships. I'm not just talking about husbands and wives, which we're going to focus on on the next couple of weeks, but relationships with friends and acquaintances and family members and coworkers and baristas. That's a big one, right? Like, how many times have you seen somebody be so rude to the person making coffee? in front of us a few people you're nodding your head right you see that isn't that like one place where people seem to think oh it's all about me i'm standing here you're making my coffee for me like make it my way right true story um one day uh, gandhi was uh, he was getting onto a train with others who were with him and as he was getting onto this train uh, one of his shoes had fallen off and slipped down by the tracks of the train. And as the train started to move, they didn't have time. He didn't have time to get down and to get his shoe, and neither did those with him. So as the train started to pull away, Gandhi grabbed his other shoe and he just threw it. He just threw it out. And now he's barefoot walking through a train, and the other passengers said, why did you throw your shoe out? And 
He said, you know, the poor man who finds one shoe on the track, now he's got a pair. Now he's got a pair of shoes. That's not self. That's focused on somebody else. Philippians 2.3, it tells us, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others better than himself. The apostle Peter, he echoes Paul in 1 Peter 5 when he writes, likewise, you younger people, he says this, I promise, submit yourself to your elders, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. The Greek word for submitting, I've mentioned this, it doesn't refer to authoritative absolute power that you're being underneath. It involves voluntarily placing oneself under the authority of somebody else. If you can voluntarily submit yourself, you can voluntarily unsubmit yourself if the situation's not safe, right? We see this problem of worldly selfishness. It even played itself out with the disciples in, uh, in Mark chapter 10. Have you ever heard any of the kids, have you ever heard a child that comes up to you and says, hey mom, hey dad, I'm going to ask you a question. I just need you to say yes, okay? Yeah, you ever heard that? Like, I'm, I'm going to um, just, just say yes to this one, okay? The disciples actually did this to Jesus. No joke, okay? Uh, we're in Mark chapter 10. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you. Jesus is like, uh, what do you want me to do for you? He asked them. Verse 37. They answered him, Allow us to sit at your right and at your left in glory. And he said to them in verse number 38, you don't know what you're asking. Verse 40, he says, but to sit at my right hand, my right or my left, it's not mine to give. Instead, it's for those of whom who it has been prepared. I'll explain that in a second. Then what happens is all the other disciples, they got around, they're upset with James and John. So as the other 10 disciples heard this and they began to be outraged with James and John, Jesus called them over and he said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those in high positions as tyrants, they act as tyrants over their people, but it's not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you will be slave to all. For even the son of man, watch this, did not come to be served, but to what? But to serve. And to give his life for many. So James and John, they're out looking out for themselves here in this section. They're saying that, they say, hey, when we get to heaven, by the way, Jesus, just say yes to this, okay? I'm going to ask you a question. Just say yes to whatever I'm asking. Hey, when we get to heaven, can we sit on your right and, and, uh, and left side? Like, we want to be your number two in command, okay? We want to be like your generals. Cool? Just say yes. Remember, we're playing that game. Just say yes. Jesus is like, yeah, you guys don't even know what you're asking for. Like, that's not mine to give. He says, second in command? Yeah. Like, that's not what we do. I'm here to serve people. I'm not here to be served. He basically says, hey guys, it's not all about you. It's about others. Did you ever hear of somebody that says, and especially like when it comes to a job saying, hey, it's who you know, 
Like, oh, it's who you know. It'll get you ahead in life, right? So James and John, what they're doing is they're using their advantage to actually knowing Jesus to get that job and, like, be on the, his right and left-hand side in heaven. He's like, yeah, it's not like that. They're looking for an advantage. How many times in our relationships do we look at people and we kind of categorize them as people? Like, I'm going to call this person because they're good at child care. That's what they could do for me. I'm going to call this person because they're kind of fun to be around and that's what they do for me. Or these, these couple of people over here, like, I call them when one of my other friends answer the phone. They're like my third-tier friends and I'll hang out with you. Like, and, and, and so, like... I call you when I need you. And that's kind of a selfish perspective to a relationship, right? It's certainly an area that there's trouble in our modern culture. Biblically, relationships are not one-sided. But culturally, in our American society, they're, 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 we're celebrated for never looking past our own needs. See, when we become involved in relationships, maybe a dating relationship, maybe with an employer or a neighbor, how many times are we asking ourselves, how can we serve this new person that I just met? Or are we looking and saying, how am I going to be served by this relationship? Happens like that at times, huh? I want to take a biblical look here again and find some wisdom in this to form it into another life hack and how we, can, how we can use this in our relationships. Life hack number two on your notes. Watch this. Let others serve you. Let others serve you. You're like, Pastor, didn't we just talk about not being selfish and like I need to serve people? Yeah, we did, but watch this. Ephesians 5.21 wasn't just written, Paul didn't just write that for me. He didn't just write that for Pastor Chris. He wrote that for everyone. So as I'm being told to submit, everyone else is being told to submit as well, right? So if I'm not allowing others to serve, I can be kind of stunting their growth, right? It's not, it's not saying that... that you just need to let other people like wave palm fronds and cool you down as you're sitting in a pool of natural Hawaiian spring water being warmed by, you know, whatever the, you know, fed grapes. That's, that's not what we're doing. I mean, grapes are good, but that, that's not what it's really saying. It's saying, hey, submit to serve others. Everyone's told the same thing. It's saying, hey, you know what? Don't shun people away when they're there to help, right? Does anyone else have a hard time with that? It is. It's a, it's, a, it's a tough concept in our modern world to allow others to help and to ask others for help. We live in this closed-door society where we don't invite others into our needs. We purposely mask our struggles and we refuse to ask for help from people. We've got a do-it-yourself mentality, right? How many times have we heard that has anyone told you this? Like, we don't really know our neighbors. You heard that? Like, just think about the neighbors around where you live. How many of them do you know? Like, how many of them do you really know? Not going to lie, I don't know all of mine. I don't, sometimes we don't know what our neighbors need, what they love, what they're good at, what their name is, because our doors are closed, right? 
I mean, if, if, if you live in an apartment complex, somebody can literally sleep 20 yards away and you don't know who they are. And we don't because that's what our society says. It says, just do it yourself. But it also means that they don't know us. It means that, that they don't know that when they have something that they could serve us. Maybe they can help out with childcare so we can go and have date night. Maybe they've got a ladder that can help us take our Christmas lights down in June. Or, you know, maybe there's what we do. We just, everyone buys a ladder, right? We don't go and ask as much as we used to. Every garage on the block has something for their house when our neighbor is seeing us. You've got a, a neighbor that sees you up on a chair using a mop to get a Frisbee off of your, uh, your, your roof. They're like, hey, you want to borrow a ladder? And you say like, nah, I got this, right? Like, oh no, I got this. Like, what have we done? We haven't given them an opportunity to serve, right? Like, they have this command as well to help. And by doing this and letting others serve us as well, we're teaching our children that that's important. And that's, so, that, that, that's such a big lesson for our kids. There was a mother who was appealing to her children and telling her children about the orphans in the area and saying, look, here's orphans and they don't have moms and they don't have dads and they don't have aunts and they don't have uncles and they don't have toys and they might not have very good food and they don't live and sleep on very good beds they don't have money and they don't have good clothes and she asked her children she says well what would what would you guys like to give to these orphaned children and all the kids got together and they finally decided they went to their mom and they said we'd be willing to give up aunt betsy it's like, the Apostle Paul continually referred to himself as a servant. He was a conduit for the Holy Spirit. But what if Jesus didn't allow Paul to go out and minister? Like what if Paul wrote his letters to Timothy and to Titus and he said, Hey guys, you know what? I know you're good ministers. And I know you're good orators, and I know that people will follow you, but I just want you to go home and kick it. I got this. Nah, I got it. I'm going to do it all myself. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 13 for a moment. We're going to see this exact instance where Jesus takes this lowliest position, and some get so disgruntled. We're in John chapter 13. And John writes, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Verse number two, the evening meal was in progress. Verse four, so he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. So we're at Passover, we're in Jerusalem, he's in a room with the disciples. They're getting ready to eat the Passover meal and the Messiah, Jesus, who all these guys look up to, gets up from his seat, starts taking off his outer garments, grabs a towel, wraps it around his waist. Everyone has to be thinking, what's he doing? This is kind of weird. Watch this, verse number five. 
After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around them. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you'll understand. Watch, verse number 8. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Here's one of the disciples who is looking at Jesus, knows him as the Son of God, knows him as the Messiah, knows him as the one who's going to save people from their sins. He's like, nope, you are not washing my feet. Washing feet, this is like slave work. It really is. It is the lowest job that somebody could do. And that's what Jesus is doing. They, are, they look at him as a king. They look at him as the king in the line of David. They have such high marks. They have him on such a pedestal that if the king were to come and wash feet, Peter's like, no, I don't deserve to have you washing my feet. Look what Jesus says in verse number Verse number eight, uh, Jesus finishes and he says, he says, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then Peter's like, okay, then Lord, I'll wash my feet, wash my hair, wash my hands, break out the head and shoulders. Let's go. We're going to town. Give me a bath. Wash me. If we don't let others serve, we're not allowing them to follow this command. We wonder why this is a, such a big deal. Have you heard? Have you, you remember the verse in Acts that we see that says it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? So sometimes we take that to heart and we just say, you know what? I'm going to give, 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 give. But see, here's the thing. It doesn't say that there's no blessing in receiving. Sometimes when we're receiving... We're blessing other people by allowing them to give, right? How good of receivers are we? How well do we let other people serve us? Maybe the better question is, how long do we make ourselves suffer before we're actually going to ask for help? Have you ever done that? Have you ever sat back and say, I really need help, but I'm not asking anyone for help. I'm proud. How long before we, we actually give hints to other people that we could use assistance? Remember that person whose name we put in our pocket a little while ago? I want you to go ahead and take that name out again. Let me ask you this. How likely are you to accept a gift from them lovingly? How would you let them serve you? Is that relationship that tattered? Are, are we always the one who's trying to tell them what they need to do to make their lives better? Are we always the giver and never the receiver? Are we stunting their growth by not letting them serve us? In order to create these lifelong relationships, the kind that, that the Bible teaches us are built to last, we need to be ready to bury our pride and to give freely, but also to accept freely. It all leads to the final ingredients in our relationship hack this morning. Life hack number three on your notes. A solid, strong, resilient relationships require sacrifice. 
All solid, strong, resilient relationships require sacrifice. Whether we're giving or receiving in relationships, we're foregoing some emotional part. Okay? It might be pride that we're giving. It might be sorrow that we're sacrificing. It might be selfishness or vulnerability. Or maybe it's the ability to forgive that we've struggled with. We don't want to give grace because we don't feel that that person has apologized to us long enough or strong enough. And we hold on because we don't feel like we've been righted yet. Relationships require sacrifice. And here's the kicker. Contrary to popular belief, there's never enough sacrifice to be had in relationships. Watch this. This is going to be so countercultural. At no point can we say, you know what, I've sacrificed enough. I'm done. I'm not moving till you move. Not biblical. We can't do that. We can't say, you know what, I'm not giving anymore until I take in twice as much. That means that I'm waiting for you. I'm not moving anymore. We're told we need to submit in worship after the example of Jesus, right? We carry each other's burdens and we keep carrying the burdens. We can't give up. We can't block others' road and, and stop sacrificing for them because some people might be dependent on us. They might be dependent on our example. They, they might be dependent on us for their breath. If we quit, they quit, right? We are to be carrying the load for others. Yes, this is where I say that we sacrifice for others the way that Jesus sacrificed for us. What if Christ would have said, you know what? I'm not giving any more until you give. What if he would have said, you know, I'm not going to take one more lashing until you come to church every Sunday. What if he said, you know what? I'm not going to take that crown of thorns on my head until you Get down on your knees at my feet and pray. What if Jesus said, I'm not going to hang on that cross until you accept me as Lord and Savior. I'm done. I'm not going to sacrifice anymore. Someone had to go first. Someone had to sacrifice. Someone had to be the bigger person. I want you to look at that name in your pocket. Who is waiting for who right now? Who is unwilling to sacrifice? Who is going to be the bigger person? Out of the furnaces and in the, in the, in the deep massacre of war comes many true stories of sacrificial friendship. And one story tells of two friends who in World War I were absolutely inseparable. These two friends, they enlisted together, they went to basic training together, they flew overseas together, they fought side by side in the trenches together, and during an attack, one of them was critically wounded in the field. He's out in the field with barbed wire obstacles, and he's unable to crawl back to the foxhole. The entire area is covered in enemy attack. It'd be suicidal to even try and reach him, but 
his friend decides to try. But before his friend can get out of the foxhole, the sergeant grabs him by the ankle and pulls him back in. And he says, no, you're not to go. It's too late. You can't do him any good. You're only going to get yourself killed. A few minutes later, the sergeant turns his back to pay attention to somebody else. And this gentleman gets out of the foxhole and runs straight for his friend out on the battlefield. And a few minutes later, he comes crawling back, mortally wounded, his friend dead in his arms. And the sergeant, angry now, says, what a waste. I told you not to go. Now he's dead and you're dying. It just wasn't worth it. And with almost his last breath, the dying man said, oh, Sarge, it was worth it. He says, when I got to him, the only thing he said was, Jim, I knew you would come. One of the true marks of being a friend is that a friend is there when he has every reason not to be, when there is, when there is the situation where sacrifice is going to be costly. Relationships are hard. If we're trying to manage our relationships with other people, people who are created by God, shouldn't we be managing our relationships by God's instructions on relationships? He put people in our lives for us to serve and he gave us instruction manual on relationships. Our world and our culture, it wants to dictate the rules of relationships and it wants to dictate how we should think and act towards one another. You want to know where the world's rules have got us? We are a world that is lonely. We are a world that is full of depression. We are the third most populous nation, and yet we have no clue who is living on our own block. We don't know how to give gifts. We don't know how to receive compliments. We take one and we never leave one. We have acquaintances, but no deep, true friendships. We ask, we don't ask, and we don't tell. We weep alone. We live in crowded solitary. This is what happens when a world that builds selfishness for fun is in control of prescribing the remedy for our relationships. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't have to read the instructions to the relationships and think that now to live biblically is to turn our back on the world and that they're all going to laugh at us. To live biblically, to walk away from the world is to live better than the world. It's where we can truly be happy with each other, where we can be together in fellowship and have so much in common because of our understanding. A biblical relationship is one that is going to ask you to release your own power and walk under the direction of the Bible. You are going to submit, but you're going to submit and what you gain is so much more than what you gain under walking by the world's rules. Because you're walking by the rules of the creator who created you and who created everyone else you have a relationship with, knows you better than you, knows them better than them, and has written rules on how we get along. Why aren't we following those rules? 
This is where I ask and I tell you that I need you to trust me. If you haven't seen, if you haven't read, if you haven't heard and followed God's plan for your life and taken time to get to know him and see that his ways are pure and correct and understand that he knows you and that he has a plan and that when he made you, he created this plan, I need you to trust me. That this plan is in place and that it works. When was the last time you had a moment you said, hey, why didn't I think of that? Have you ever had that moment? That's what happens when we start following God's plan. We realize, hey, why didn't I, why didn't I think of that? Life is made up of different ways to do things. Sometimes we can hack life by using tools that we didn't even know existed to accomplish tasks that have been difficult for years. The Bible has our life hacks. All these relationships, they become more stable under God's direction. If you can do me a favor one more time and take that name of that person out of your pocket. And if you can take your bulletin right under life hack number three, there's a line in your bulletin that simply says name. And I would ask you to put that name there. I would ask you to physically write that name And in a moment, we're going to pray over that name, and we're going to hold this name up to Jesus. And I want you to pray over this relationship. As we go to prayer, I'd ask for every head bowed and every eye closed. And as we bring these names up to to Jesus, I just ask you that you remember over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about Wives, we're going to be talking about husbands, we're going to be talking about parenting. And I would ask you to join us for those conversations. And we're going to pray over this name that you have as Pastor Daniel comes to play for us. And if if you would like prayer for anything, just come up once he starts playing, and we could pray. Let's go to the Lord. Lord, I thank you for our lesson today on relationships. I thank you for the opportunity to come here and worship and pray and to study your word, Lord. I ask that you reach into our hearts and you remind us that what you have planned for us has been there for generations. It's been there for years The way that we interact with others, it's not to be built out of selfishness, but it's to be built out of serving. And others are there to serve, and we need to allow them to serve us, Lord. Thank you for this important lesson. Lord, I ask you to be with us as we we go into our world and give us an opportunity to evaluate our relationships and ask ourselves, how are we serving others and how are we letting others serve us? Lord, these names that are written on the bulletins today, or maybe some people didn't write names because they didn't want somebody next to them to see, but Lord, those names that are in our hearts, I ask for you to heal those relationships, to touch them, and to let us recognize that these relationships work well under your direction. Lord, thank you for bringing us all together today. Thank you for an amazing Sunday. Bless us with worship. 
We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.